Chapter Sixteen of In New England Fields and Woods by Roland E. Robinson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Bullfrog. The flooded expanse of the marshes has shrunken perceptibly along its shoreward boundaries, leaving a mat of dead weeds, bits of driftwood, and a water-worn salvage of bare earth to mark its widest limits. The green tips of the rushes are thrust above the amber shallows, whereon flotillas of water-shield lie anchored in the sun, while steel-blue devil's needles sow the warm air with intangible threads of zigzag flight. The meshed shadows of the water-maples are full of the reflections of the green and silver of young leaves. The naked tangle of button-bushes has become a green island, populous with garrulous colonies of red-wings. The great flocks of wild ducks that came to the reopened waters have had their holiday rest and journeyed onward to summer homes and cares in the further north. The few that remain are in scattered pairs and already in the silence and seclusion of nesting. You rarely see the young voyaging muskrat or hear his plaintive love calls. Your ear has long been accustomed to the watery clangor of the bittern when a new yet familiar sound strikes it the thin vibrant bass of the first bullfrog's note it may be lacking in musical quality but it is attuned to its surroundings and you are glad that the green-coated player has at last recovered his long-submerged banjo and is twanging its water-soaked strings in prelude to the summer's concert he is a little out of practice and his instrument is slightly out of tune but a few days use will restore both touch and resonance when he and his hundred brethren shall awake the marsh-haunting echoes and the sleeping birds with a grand twilight recital it will reach your ears a mile away and draw you back to the happy days of boyhood when you listened for the bullfrogs to tell that fish would bite and it was time for boys to go a-fishing in the first days of his return to the upper world of water this old acquaintance must be shy and neither permit nor offer any familiarity the fixed placidity of his countenance is not disturbed by your approach but if you overstep by one pace what he considers the proper limit down goes his head under cover of the flood marking his jerky course with an underwake and a shiver of the rushes he reappears to calmly observe you from a safer distance custom outwears his diffidence and the fervid sun warms him to more genial moods when he will suffer you to come quietly close to him and tickle his sides with a bulrush till in an ecstasy of pleasure he loses all caution and bears with supreme contentment the titillation of your fingertips his flabby sides swell with fullness of enjoyment his blinking eyes grow dreamy and the corners of his blandly expressionless mouth almost curve upward with an elusive smile not till your fingers gently close upon him does he become aware of the indiscretion into which he has lapsed and with a frantic struggle he tears himself away from your grasp and goes plunging headlong into his nether element bellowing out his shame and astonishment another day as you troll along the channel an oar's length from the weedy borders you see him afloat on his lily-pad raft heeding you no more than does the golden-hearted blossom whose orange odour drifts about him nor is he disturbed by splash of oar nor dip of paddle nor even when his bark and her perfume-freighted consort are tossed on your undulating wake as summer wanes you see and hear him less frequently but he is still your comrade of the marshes occasionally announcing his presence with a resonant twang 
and a jerky splash among the sedges the pickerel weeds have struck their blue banners to the conquering frost and the marshes are sere and silent and desolate when they are warmed again with the new life of spring we shall listen to the jubilant chorus of our old acquaintance the bullfrog end of section sixteen